On tonight's show, we'll look back at some of the draft strategies we employed back in March, analyze how they did, and look towards 2023. We also have trivia, waiver wire picks, and our injury report. Justin Mason of our sister show, The Sleeper in the Bus Podcast, joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Uh, pretty good, a little sore. Just pitched 28 innings in the last two days, won all of our games. Uh, really good stuff, but uh, a little tired. I just uh, finished uh, two hours ago, 2-2 uh, two, two tie after 11 innings for darkness, so... There wow, <laughs> that's 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 nuts. I actually have a playoff game this coming Thursday. So in my league, you know, I only I only have one league. I don't have like seventeen leagues like you have. I only <laughs> have one league, and our league playoff starts this this Thursday. Well, good luck on that, Ruvan. Yeah, our, our my best league this year that Adam Ronis played in uh, a couple games. Uh, we're seven and zero, but the big stat is fifteen runs allowed in seven games. That's that's pretty awesome to do. Very proud of that. Anyways, uh, we have a guest on our show who also plays softball. Uh, you know him from Friends with Fantasy Benefits and from Fangraphs, uh, the Rotographs, Beat the Sleeper and the Bus podcast. Welcome to the show, Justin Mason. How are you, Justin? I'm doing well. My, my softball uh, team is not as successful as you guys, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> we have yet to win a game this season. Uh, oh. and we're about to have our last game of the season oh. uh, this Thursday, so... Uh, yeah, um, it's, it's been a pretty rough year, uh, from a team standpoint, I'm putting up decent stats, but, um, I, I got hurt. I, you know, had to miss a few weeks, uh, with a pulled hamstring. So it's been, um, a, a season to forget. Hopefully we can, uh, work hard in the off season, come back strong next year. There you go. Do, do you play, is it high arc or is it modified? Uh, it is high arc. So, or well, um, I, not super high arc. You can only, you have the, the ball has to go at least list at least, six feet high but can't mm-hmm. go higher than 15 feet okay okay and you play with the uh the white clinchers or the green yellow Dud- dudleys i don't even know what either of those things are so probably not <laughs> those are, yeah those are different types of it depends whichever one you use they have to go farther when you hit them that's all yeah different types of softballs there oh yeah we we use we use the green ones um, right or like the neon the neon green ones um it's a wood bat league uh it's a co-ed it, it's i mean it's really like the epitome of beer league softball um you know it's it's really for fun our team name is the bad news bears and um and we epitomize that we're, we're really out there just to have a good time is daniel vogelbach on your team uh he, i mean some would say i am the daniel vogelbach of this league i a high uh-huh. walk rate i'm a big guy uh i i don't just dh i for years i just dh uh, and I didn't really play the field very much, but uh, I've been playing a ton of uh, third base, uh, second base in the outfield this year. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm getting back into to playing more full time. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would definitely be the Daniel Vogelbach of the league. Well, there you go. Well, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> listen, <laughs> we don't do a lot of banter here, but I'm just super, so super <laughs> excited about softball. So I feel like talking about it a little bit. Uh, but, yes, it's the Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and I do want to talk about TGFBI. Justin Mason is the creator and founder and inventor 
of the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. Um, and I think it's 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 a great league to go over general strategy to see what went right and what went wrong because it, you, you have over 400, um, 465, to be precise, uh, experts all playing in the same type of draft format, 15-team league. So it's a good league to talk about to see what went right and what went wrong uh, and could help you in terms of what you do. Uh, so first of all, how is your team doing personally uh, in TGFBI? Uh, my team is doing absolutely awfully. Oh. <laughs> uh, it, it, is, it has been uh, rough from the beginning, uh, and it has not gotten better as uh, the season has gone on. I, you know, every league is competitive. I feel like my league is very competitive as well. Um, and in spite of what should have been a really, really nice start, uh, you know, doing the pocket aces and going uh, Garrett Cole and Zach Wheeler, it pretty much has gone poorly from, from there on. It just it just has not gone well for me, unfortunately. Right. How about you, Ruvain? I'm actually in third place and trending up right now. I was in I was near like the middle of the pack for a while, and after a while, I, my team happens to be they're on a hot streak right now and they're doing quite well. So I'm in third place, but I'm trending up. So I'm, I'm looking. I'm it's, team's looking good right now. What about you? Uh, I'm in second place in my league with 109 points. Uh, yeah, about eight, nine points away from first. Uh, I'm 37th overall, uh, which is a 92nd percentile. So, I, I, hey, I'm good with that. I, I'm always good with finishing in the money. And when you're with 465 players, I'll, I'll take 30-something, um, you know. But uh, in terms of uh, – who, so, so uh, Justin, who, who's winning it? And, you know, anything to discern from, from their team? Um. Michael Richards is uh, winning it uh, right now. Um, you know, now this is uh, a, you know, obviously a competition that things can change, right? We saw last year, uh, it was won on the last day of, uh, of the competition. Um, and, you know, and, uh, and our good friend Tanner Bell, um, he was able to take it down over uh, Dylan White. Um, and so like, Obviously, Michael's got a nice uh, start at this point. He's put together a really good team. And while he had a really, really good draft, part of it has been also like really good waiver wire work. Um, and I think, you know, obviously what's kind of helped him is, you know, he's, you know, put together a really good team that's uh, performed really well. And he hasn't had like any major busts as far as I can really tell maybe outside of well i guess he has you know trevor story and trevor rogers they uh were on uh, both on this team um but he also had some really good pickups guys like uh george kirby uh spencer strider's been great tony gonsolin's been fantastic so like he kind of you know got these great pickups that were able uh gave him an opportunity to kind of overcome some of those uh those disappointments you know, what do you think is sort of the percentage attributable to a successful team in terms of their draft success and in terms of their in-season play? Because obviously it's a combination of both. And I would say that in deeper leagues, the draft's more important, uh, or at least it favors the draft more than the in-season. When you're in a shallow league, it's virtually almost all in-season. But like in TGFBI, what do you think the rough percentage is in terms of is it 50 50 is it 75 25 draft like well what, what do you think i i would think it's about 75 25 in a 15 team league so tgfbi is a 15 team roto uh style league and so like you kind of mentioned you know in a, in a little bit deeper format like that 
the draft is really important. You really can't have a bunch of blow-ups or a bunch of guys that really set you back um, because there's just not as much on the waiver wire as there would be in a 10 or a 12 team league, right? You can kind of turn and burn a lot of your roster in the, in the shallower format. So in, in this one, the draft becomes really, really important. Um, and, you know, if you look at Michael's team, like he did a really good job, especially in positions uh, that have, you know, really bad replacement value. And he's got Dalton Varsho who's played well this year. Wilson Contreras has played well, you know, at catcher. You know, catcher's been just an absolute wasteland for those people who drafted a bad catcher. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it's it's really important, you know, to make sure that you've got those areas covered or you can make, you know, really astute early pickups on guys like, you know, Spencer Strider, you know, and Tony Gonsolin, huge for a team like that, right? Gets these guys off the waiver wire and they're performing like aces for them. So uh, it's really, you know... You can definitely overcome things on the waiver wire in a deeper format league like this, but it's it's much more difficult, and you'd rather just be adding to an already strong team like Michael has done. Do you agree, Ruben? I do agree. I think a lot of the things um, they have have to go right. If you're going to win an overall, you have to have a lot of luck. You have to have less injuries because I I came in second a couple of years ago overall. I had very so few injuries. It was just crazy. That's why you know you have to have some luck. But during the draft. The draft, the if you're gonna win the overall, you're gonna win it in the last couple rounds. I just I looked at a couple of the teams near the top. A lot of them have Taylor Ward who came out of nowhere. Carlos Carrasco is having a bounce back year. Alec Bohm was like the third, the thirtieth third baseman taken off the board, and he's one of the top performers at third base right now. And and of course, if you happen to pick in the position where you got Aaron Judge and and people took Aaron Judge, it seems like those teams have been doing a lot better. So I was looking at the top teams, and I found a lot of that in common. Yeah, no, that's true. So, you know, given that, you, obviously, to, to beat 400-something uh, people, you have to have a lot of things go right. You have, can't have injuries. You have some luck. Does that actually favor Justin in the first couple of rounds or even in the first 10 rounds, I'd say? Does that favor making a much less risky team? Because you're, you're, you, the only way to win is if you stay healthy. So why would you pick wild cards that often get injured, like a Tatis why would you pick a guy like that? Why would you pick a DeGrom at all? Like, even if, well, seventh round, that sounds great. But if there's an injury risk, why would you do that? Well, the question is, like, well, you know, should you be focusing your attention on getting rid of risk, being that you have to have these things go right to win an overall contest anyways? Yeah, I mean, I would think so. Because I think where you want to take the risk is in the later rounds, where the guys that, you know, could potentially perform like a second rounder you know, or a first rounder, but you're getting them in the 13th, 14th, 20th rounds, right? I think when you're when you're building, especially your first 10 rounds, you should want to stay as risk averse as possible. Um, that being said, like I, I totally get and I sometimes myself fall for taking these guys that are like, hey, if I get this guy, he's going to be a league winner. Um, you know, even if it's here in the fourth round, like he's going to perform like, the number one overall player, <coughs> Mondesi. Uh, but I mean, th those guys don't tend to do that, right? Like it, those guys tend to disappoint on a much higher level um, than maybe other uh, other guys. I, I prefer guys with, you know, safe floors, um, you know, and there are going to be people who are able to point out really, really good examples of when that doesn't happen, right? Mondesi did win people leagues in previous years uh, because of his stolen base ability. 
there are going to be people that are going to like point out the fact that you know um you know julio rodriguez you know after it was you know named that he was going to be on the the roster like they took him in the fourth fifth rounds with felt which felt way too high for me um even though i was taking him in like you know the 18 19th round earlier on in draft season uh but that's worked out great for them right um uh, so, I mean, there's always going to be examples of times you can point to, hey, this guy was risky, but he panned out really, really well. But I think overall, if, if you really look at, you know, all of the data on that, yeah, it's probably it probably doesn't work out um, as often as people say. I think the great example for this year, um, even though he's been very good, is Byron Buxton. We were seeing Byron Buxton um, go in the second round in a lot of drafts uh, this year because of the hype machine. And while he's been good uh, and he's been healthy on the field for the most part, like he still hasn't necessarily returned second round value. Um, and I think that, you know, kind of points to the mistake uh, that people often make chasing upside early. I totally agree. Uh, Ruvain, I mean, I, I, I'm assuming you agree as well. Yeah, I agree. I actually took Buxton in the TGFBI in the fifth round. I waited because there is that injury risk. And it's just you, you have to be careful. You have to know. So you have to have a plan. You have to follow the plan and try not to go away from it, even if there's that enticing player out there that I think will make the difference for you. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, I'm the risk guy. I'm the uh, the actuary in here who's generally risk-averse. And, you know, I, I know that Ron Chandler has uh, the BAB system where he – the broad assessment balance sheet where, you know, you can only take a certain amount of risk uh, on your team. Uh, to me, I think the theory is that – you know, if if a player gets enough of a discount with the right amount of risk, you can do it. Uh, but what happens in general is that you, know, you see how the market works. The market usually doesn't do that, and people enjoy risky picks. So I never end up picking a big risky team because you know I never get enough of a discount. Players usually don't fall that far. If they do, I grab them. Uh, but you know they just don't. And to me, it's always a battle of risk and upside, and and risk and expected value. And when you're when you're in the first couple of rounds. Um, I think that limiting risk really, really helps. Um, I mean, in terms of, you know, I, I, I the ATC volatility metrics this year are actually really, really good. Um, when you when I took a look at the uh, statistic, the interprojectional skew, interskew, and you see which players it said to avoid, we're talking guys like Harper, Story. And, you know, sure, there's some injury there. There's some performance. You know, R Robbie Ray, okay, uh, you know, he had some value. But those guys were a little bit cautious. I dropped them so I don't own them on the team, and that worked out. Guys that were really, really tight in terms of categories, Aaron Judge, Freeman, I, I boosted those up. Like, whatever dollar my auction calculator gave, I added a dollar or two because those were just safer picks. And I'm willing to overspend on a safer pick. And Judge just ATC highlighted as the right pick. Um, I took profile risk really seriously this year. So, for example, Salvador Perez, a lot of people were taking the catcher. Well, if you have a catcher and a catcher is uh, – he's definitely a second, third-round player if he makes it the whole season, great. And that's all well and true and dandy. But if he somehow gets injured, now you're dropping to the bottom of the barrel. So there's a risk in taking a catcher at a very, very premium position because – all of a sudden, the huge loss if he goes down. Uh, whereas ATC profile risk showed that many guys like Manny Machado, Kyle Tucker, those guys were going to contribute value no matter what because they're spread on all the categories, batting average and stolen bases. 
take those guys, go the extra buck, and those turned out to be winners. I think risk is a little bit undervalued. Um, I mean, part of this show today that we want to do is a little bit of a, a preseason draft strategy look back to see what went right, what went wrong, but more importantly, should we continue this next year? Um, so a couple of topics I want to throw out there to you, Justin and Ruvain, and see if we agree with what we did or not, and will we think the trend continues? So, for example, um, market premiums. We talk a lot that you got to pay for steals, you got to pay for saves, even though if you do your auction calculator, steals, you shouldn't draft these guys so high, but because steals are, are scarce and saves for sure are scarce, uh, you pay a premium. Do we think that that was the right strategy this year, and do we see that going forward, uh, Justin? Um, I think it probably was the right strategy in both regards, though I think there's going to be some data pushback on that, especially in the in the saves department. Uh, but uh, I think for the most part, like, the elite guys have stayed pretty elite in terms of, of closers and saves, and really hasn't been a lot of turnover uh, just in general this year um, in the saves department. Uh, so I, I can see why some people are going to be like, well, you know, I, I got Soto late, like, you know, and that's been fine. Or I got Barlow late and that's been fine. Uh, but I, I still think that it's it was the right call to be uh, taking, uh, you know, kind of the early closers because uh, for the most part, those guys are going to stay safe, uh, you know, a little bit uh, uh, more consistent and, and more likely to keep the job. I think you're going to also find like a lot of people who push back on, Hey, maybe stolen bases, you know, you could have waited a little bit, but I mean, you look at like the top, I don't know, top 15 stolen base guys. And while there are some kind of like, Whoa, ho, how did that guy get there? You know, Jorge Mateo, 27 uh, stolen bases uh, this year. Um, you know, most of those guys are, are top four round guys, you know, Marcus Simeon, Trey Turner, uh, Randy Rosarena, uh, Bobby Witt Jr. was a top, you know, four-round guy. You know, we talked about how uh, Julio Rodriguez moved up into that area late after you knew uh, that he was going to make, um, you know, kind of make the opening day roster. So, I, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's all about building a, you know, a cohesive team with the best talent. Um, and there are going to be, you know, some people that say, uh, you know, hey, you got to do it this way or you have to do it this way. I don't think that's true in any regards. I think you could put the puzzle together in just about any way. And I think it comes down to what way is, are you makes it most comfortable for you to build the best possible team that's yours. Um, and so I, I tend to say, yes, I, I would continue to draft speed early and saves early, but I can see the argument going the opposite direction. All right, what do you thought through, Vane? Saves early, yes. Stolen bases, no. Saves, I think they're only two sort of semi-busts. I mean, Aroldis Chapman is one guy near the top. He lost his closer job pretty early. Gallegos lost his job really early, uh, sort of early on. <laughs> Even Rafael Iglesias, he still has two months left in the season, and he's not really closing anymore. So that's three of the top guys. But for the majority, I think the saves worked out. The closers, they worked out. The stolen base guys, Justin, you mentioned looking at the top ten, top 20. Or top 15. Look at the guys right now who have 20 stolen bases. There are nine players with 10, at least 20 stolen bases right now for them. Mateo, J-Rod, 
Edmund, John Birdie, they weren't taken early unless unless you're talking about you know uh, Julio Rodriguez earlier when and when they knew they was coming up already. But most of those guys you can get later, and I still and I and I've been saying that if you don't you don't need 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 to get the top stolen base guy in the first first or second round. You can I think you can wait a little bit, wait to the mid rounds, and just bunch your stolen bases where you have like 15, 15 guys. Get a twenty ten guy and just spread your risk around because let's say you do draft the Adalberto Mondesi and he doesn't work out. Then what? You don't have anything spread up, spread out, and it, it makes it it limits your risk if you do that. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, Ruvain. On on the saves part, I think that you know you know you always have to decide what bucket to play in. Do you play in the super elite, like we're talking Hendricks and Hader this year? Do you play in the elite, Diaz, Classe, uh, that area? Do you play middle with uh, Taylor Rogers, Knable, or lower down like Soto, Bednar? And in general, the super elite, they, they, they all worked out in terms of being not bust. But in terms of securing the value, I'm not sure that the super elite, when you're drafting him in the second, third round, really held that value. I think that when you, if you waited to the fourth, fifth round to get the Diaz Class A, I think you got the better, better deal. Uh, but I think that there weren't many darts after, let's say, the 13th round, after Bednar and Soto and those guys. How many of those darts really worked out that, oh, wow, I, I took a chance on that guy in the 25th round, and that worked out? Very few. So in general, I would say that the market premium is valid, and it's just a question of which high premium bucket you want to play in, which is the, the biggest, you know, which is, which is going to be the, the smallest market premium to pay. Um, and it could be different each year. It could be different even in with each draft of the year. I mean, some drafts, I, 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 we did take a Liam Hendricks. Some drafts, we took Diaz. Some drafts, I just played low. Um, and there was strength in doing each one compared to what the opportunity cost was and where the others went in your particular draft. But in terms of steals, I sort of agree with Ruvain. I, I didn't see a need this year, and I think that was true uh, uh, this year. The top, the super elite players in stolen bases did not show up in the bunch of four four rounds. You're better off. It's always a trade-off, right? You, you, you could have pushed and say, well, let's take care of our stolen bases. And yes, if you got Trey Turner, that was actually indeed a very good idea. But I think that the the value proposition of just not picking a guy who's going to bust, just take the value, just get Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman doesn't steal much, steals a little bit. Just get in that bank and that value, that was worth it. Um, I thought that the trade-off was that you should not pay that market premium for steals and just focus on just banking value a little bit more. Agree a little bit, Justin, on, on the trade-off there? Um, I mean, I, I'm totally fine, you know, going that route. I think it, it all depends on how you like to build your team. Like, you know, and because, he, I mean, here's the thing, and like, you know, to kind of push back, you know, against Ruvain's point, you know, I'm talking about guys like Sean Birdie, guys like Corey Mathieu, nobody drafted them. And yes, you may have, you know, you may be one of the people that got them off the wire, but you, there's no guarantee that you could have, you know, that you did get them off the wires, right? And so... Um, to get that good, you know, start with stolen bases, you know, it doesn't necessarily have, like, I don't think you should overpay for a player like Mondesi based on stolen bases, right? Uh, but I, I think if you leave the first five rounds without, you know, a fair amount of stolen bases, you now dictated how your the rest of your draft has to go. And what I try to do to make things easier in general 
is I don't want that. Like I don't I don't I don't want like my direction in a draft to be dictated by the first few picks, right? I want to have options. Because the more options you give yourself later on in a draft, the you know, the better team you can ultimately build. So, um I would uh you know, I think you can build a team in a lot of directions. I built I have built teams uh you know this season, you know, a couple that have been, you know, fairly successful. With guys like Freddie Freeman early, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a Freddie Freeman or a Raphael Devers or a guy that doesn't offer stolen bases or maybe just not many stolen bases. Um, but it does change the direction of the way you have to approach the rest of the draft. And I think if you stay balanced early on, you're much, you know, you give yourself more options moving forward. Yeah, that, that's a very good point in that. Um, look, you, you can't just say, well, you ignore steals. No, if you don't, if you ignore steals, um, you're going to have a much harder time piecing your draft together afterwards, right? The, the, the closer you are in terms of even, in terms of balance of categories, the direction you go, you have more choices, right? You don't want to be forced into, well, I got to take a steals guy now because I got no steals. No, but if you, if you built up at least some kind of steals, all right, well, the value is here for this non-steals guy or the value is here for the steals guy, you have more options. So that is true 100%. All this is a balance. Um, I, I guess we just have to see how steal, steals get pushed up. I, I would assume that this kind of pushing up still continues next year. Would you agree that? Um, I don't know. I'll be interested to see because there is no, uh, like there is no Montesquieu this year, right? I mean, we're, we're, you know, at this point in the season and nobody has 30 stolen bases. So like, there's no guy like, you know, for the most part, if you were successful in the stolen base department in leagues, it's because you kind of spread things out throughout the draft. Right. Um, Because there was no guy, you know, like necessarily Miles Straw or Mondesi or, you know, the old Billy Hamilton that, uh, like, carried your team in stolen bases. So uh, we may see a little bit of a devaluing. um, And we have, I think, seen, um, I I haven't double-checked recently, but I know uh, there's been talk uh, throughout the season that stolen base numbers were actually up uh, kind of with the deflation of power. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a little bit of a devaluation of stolen bases and that probably is um you know fair uh at the same time it doesn't necessarily change my strategy especially because you know if we go back and talk about like those john birdies and those Jorge mateos even those tommy Edmonds, right like those guys are actively hurting you in other categories right i mean tommy Edmond, yeah he's been great 256 24 stolen bases like that's fine right 71 run score that's great he has 38 RBIs and seven home runs, and he has right, been but he's, uh, in the But he's half. worth $22 in a Roto League, so he, he, you know, he, the majority of his value is from stolen bases, and uh, he's way above replacement, and if you drafted him roughly around that dollar threshold. So you, you sort of have to go around it in terms of making up the other categories, but he's giving you the value. Like, you're, you know, you're paying par value for him. For sure, but in, in the same time, like in this year in which we've had a dead and ball, it hasn't been as easy to get big power hitters off of the waiver wire in the same way that you used to. And he hasn't given you a premium average to offset right. any of the bad power guys um, off the waiver wire as well. So while he may, from a mathematical sense, um, return value, uh, and he is, right? He's, you know, probably pr- he's going to profit uh, by the end of the season more than likely. Um, it's going to be really have 
been difficult to offset his power unless you had a huge surplus before that. And I agree about the stolen bases staying where they are being devalued just a little bit as opposed to last year. But but saves for next year, I think they're going to be exactly where they are because it, the saves, if you don't get one of those top guys, the saves are so spread out. You're being chasing saves for the entire year. I know me and you are, we have a, we have a, um, we have a NFBC team, and we had one closer who went on the IL early, Ryan Presley, and we fell behind, and all our other three closers were complete busts. And we were just taking and hoping and hoping and praying. And having one closer, that's great, but that's not going to get you where you need to go, especially if the, everything, or the other quote-unquote shots in the dark are not working out. I, I think that it just values Values more gives more value to those top closers to get even even a one or even a one a top closer on your team just to solidify that. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you about about the saves. Although I'd say that the NFBC team that we put together there is just an anomaly. I mean, because I think that we're doing pretty well in saves everywhere else we play. Just happened to get the wrong guy, and all the darts late were bad. You know, the leagues that we threw darts, it's so you know. But in this year, and I think this is gonna you know it's gonna be an argument. Uh, that lots of people have because people are going to say, well, like the guys you drafted late, like, you know, that uh, there were, you know, a number of guys that you drafted late that returned pretty good value. You know, you were able to get Taylor Rogers at a pretty good price. And while he's no longer the closer and, you know, the ERA doesn't look great, you know, he's second in Major League Baseball in saves this year. You got the saves you were looking for from it. Daniel Bard, you know, is eighth in Major League Baseball in saves. Jorge Lopez, he probably got off the waiver wire, is, uh, you know, he's got 20 saves this year. There haven't been like the as many impact save guys coming off of the waiver wire, which is one of the reasons why people say like don't pay for saves because you can get them in season. And yeah. you haven't been able to get them in season in the way that you have in previous years. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the argument, at least that's the argument people are gonna make to uh, you know, initially to be like, Well, this is why you shouldn't or you shouldn't pay for saves, but it's actually the reason you should pay for saves because if saves aren't coming in at a bulk amount then it really puts you behind. Like, if you drafted Edwin Diaz and Kenley Jansen, you're doing just fine in saves. Um, and you didn't have to pay the second-round price on Hayter Hendricks, right? So um, I, I think that uh, I, I kind of agree to going back to what Ariel said earlier. Like, I think I, I'm going to be kind of in that second-tier pool as opposed to in the first-tier pool where I played a lot this year. But I'm still going to make sure I leave my draft with at least one very established closer and probably two. Yeah. I mean, the key thing in general, and it applies to saves and applies to everything else, is the question is where do you play? And look, you can always come up with names that are, you know, you throw darts at the end. There's some darts that worked and some darts that didn't. Some of the guys at the top worked, some different. Some didn't. If, you know, if you have the elite bucket and the middle bucket and the bottom bucket, you know, there's going to be players in each bucket that worked and didn't. The question is, which had more successes and which had more failures? I want to play in general in the ones that have more successes, right? You want to throw, you want to pick more of the items up from the successful piles in general. And you'll, if you play 20 leagues, there's going to be a couple of leagues that are not going to work out because you happen to pick up the wrong, the bad apple in that bunch. But you'll have more apples. That's the general rule of where to play. And to me, that's the way to think of everything. You know, you mentioned, Justin, that power was not available off the wire. And it's very interesting because one of the things that we said before the season that I think was wrong was that power was something that you could cheap out because they're more plentiful and you can get uh, power RBI guys late. Um, and we also said that corner infielders 
where also you don't really have to spend very high. I know Derek Carty talks about this a lot because there's always some late values that are good. I actually don't agree with that tenant for this year, that it didn't work out. I mean, in terms of corner infielders, there was not that many busts. Jared Walsh was a bust, and there wasn't too many successes. Nate Lowe, um, uh, not not many people, you know, that, that really, oh, my God, that guy really jumped up from out of the blue. Um you know, because of that, I think that the par value guys just getting your your Devers and your Freemans and your even the CJ Crones that you know came up, uh, you know they've been good. Uh, Chris Bryant was a bust, right? But in general, you haven't been able to fa- find power, and you, but in the corner infielders they've been pretty successful. I don't know that that's going to be true for next year. We might go back into that mode, but I think for for sure for twenty twenty two. That was definitely not the right strategy, that you did have to get power and bank that early. You did have to get your corner infielders, especially third base early. Do you agree with that now? Um, I mean, I think third base is still pretty gross. I'm in my first draft of the year uh, and uh, for, for next year because I do a three-sport league. So uh, we, we draft football, basketball, and baseball. And so, you know, you have to, you know, baseball being the last season in that league. Um, we're already drafting for for 2023, and third base is still a pretty gross position. Um, you know, yes, there have been some guys who've jumped out. There's also been you know a fair amount of disappointments. I mean, you look at the guys who are going in the top ten over at NFBC: Chris Bryant, uh, Anthony Rendon, um, and, uh, Al- Alberto Mondesi are, have been huge disappointments, right? Um, and you know, Bregman hasn't been very good either. Now, if you drafted, you know one of Jose Ramirez or Devers or Machado or Riley, like you're, 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 you're feeling pretty, pretty darn good, but there's a lot of misses in the third base pool. Even, even if you go farther outside the top 10, you start going like the Max Muncy's, the Justin Turner's, the Yon Mancada's, uh, you know, uh, you know, Eduardo Escobar, like those are all guys that were dropped in the top 20 at third base. Um, and so I think, uh, there, just like in baseball in general, like in baseball in general this year, there are some dominant teams or elite teams, and then there's a lot of really really bad teams. There's not much in the middle. It feels like that is the same in third base. So like if you get one of these elite guys that are elite, it's great, um, but it's really hard to you know after you get past some of those guys to find the real uh, guys who are going to help you produce in the way that maybe first base. I think first base has always been deep. I think it'll continue to be deep uh and like I, I don't think that's a big issue third base i do think it's going to be something that uh i'm going to put a premium on next year to make sure i'm getting one of the kind of the elite guys and not the uh the the quasi elite with question marks because i think that's where you know the chris bryant the alex bragman the rendones like these guys like you know they used to be elite they had massive question marks, and I think we kind of pushed them up because the rest of the pool was pretty bad. Yeah, I think I should modify the question, Ruvain, because first and third were really operating very, very different this year. Uh, let's let's pretend that I'm talking more about first base. So do you agree that the advice of you can wait on first base this year a little bit more and uh, you can wait on power, power RBIs, you can get some low-down guys that probably that was not a great advice. What are your thoughts? 
Well, I think everyone was worried about how the bowl was going to play this year with 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 the minus the spider tech. People were so nervous about what was going on and then the whole state of baseball, how many home runs are going to be hit and everything like that, that I think that's why everyone put a premium on the power and premium on the first baseman. But in 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 reality, you could have waited because look at look at the other look at Anthony Rizzo. Anthony Rizzo, where did you get him? You got him very you got him not early, but he right now he has 27 home runs. He's been in a slump recently, but he's got 27 home runs. You got guys lower down. Jose Abreu was a little bit of an anomaly. He has only 14 home runs, so I'm a little bit concerned about that. But you can find power at first base much late, much later down. And plus, Justin, you mentioned about third base. Next year, third base is so young; they're turning over. You have all these young guys. You have Alec Bohm coming into his own. You have other players such as him who are coming up. You have um, it, it's. I I think that first base, you can you don't have to get those top guys. You can play in the middle of first base, but then if you can play in the middle of first base, I would get two middle first basemen to fill up your corner, fill up your first base, and then take a chance on one of those younger third base guys and hope they hit. I mean, four of the top six players right now on the player radar. Uh, are corners. You got Goldschmidt, Jose Ramirez, Pete Alonso, Freddie Freeman. Um, all guys picked, you know, somewhat early. Um, those stayed true. You know, some of the outfield bunch has dropped. Uh, you know, the Tatis bunch. Uh, Juan Soto. Juan Soto's doing fine, but he's not returned his value. The corners have returned their value and more. I think that it was actually a good pool to spend on this year, and maybe you could have pieced together something in the outfield, something that I don't think we anticipated. We always, you know, especially in a five-outfielder league, push a little bit more outfielders early if you can, but happened to be not the case this year. I don't know that that's going to be true going forward. Like, I wouldn't say because of that. I think it's a change in the guard, and and now it's all going to be different next year. I think that the advice— I can't tell whether the, the advice is going to be yet, right? Uh, I'm saying that it just didn't work out this year. Um, talk about starting pitching. One thing we mentioned before the season started is you can target pitchers who throw a lot of innings, or more specifically, a lot of innings per start. Especially if you're in a points league, that's a column that you really want to have handy with you and say, okay, who is starters who pitch deep into games? These days, when starters only go five innings, don't even make it into the fifth inning, you're not going to win any games, I can promise you, if you don't pitch five innings. So the more you pitch in a game, even if you lose more, if you pitch seven innings every single game, even if you're on a bad team, even if you lose more games, you'll still have more opportunities to win than pitchers who barely make it to the fifth. Um, for that reason, I think that innings and innings per game is very was very important, and I actually think that's true. I mean, look at Sandy Alcantara. I mean, he's one of the best pitchers there, and that's because he goes deep into games. Not winning a lot, but he's making it up for in other ways, and he has more opportunities to win. Um, there are guys who have a lot of decisions, even like Carlos Carrasco. You know, he's pitching deep into games. He gets a lot of decisions. Look at the Dodgers starters. They're getting a lot of decisions uh, because they're going deep. Do you agree with that, Justin, that it, it's, it was a good idea to target innings and going forward into 2023 – that's going to be a priority. Yeah, I mean, I think that's always good. I think targeting guys who can go deep into games uh, that play for good teams. Of the guys who are in the top 15 in wins this year, all of them play on uh, teams that have a winning record or at least 500, the Giants being the 500 team. Um, you know, and they're all guys who've shown the ability in the past to go kind of deep into games. Uh, with the, you know, uh, with, with Tony Gonsolin, Kyle Wright and Shane McClanahan probably being the exceptions, right? But we thought coming into the season that there was a chance McClanahan would kind of be 
let loose a little bit. It's just Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay. So, yeah, I mean, you want guys who can go deep into games and are playing on really good teams um, because they're going to, you know, Carlos Carrasco, like it, uh, he's not having like the best season, you know, especially comparatively speaking to some of the other guys on this list, right? A 376 ERA is, is fine, but it's not, you know, light the world on fire. But he's playing on a really, really good team in a really good park, um, you know, and, and he can go deep into games. It makes a lot of sense to why he's got 13 wins, even though he may not have, like, the best of ERAs. Yeah. I mean, do, do you think, uh, Ruvain, that, you know, we should be, you know, wins are obviously hard to predict, but the just being on the good team and predicting the overall team situation probably more important. And would that trump uh, – good strikeout pitchers for you? I mean, because obviously strikeouts are up in general. Does that devalue strikeouts and put an emphasis on, let's just draft players on good teams? No, not necessarily. I'm still going after the strikeout guys because they're good strikeout pitchers on bad teams also. So that, that, that sort of nixes that point. But about the innings thing, I mean, who could have predicted that on August 15th, both Adam Wainwright and Miles Michaelis combined have a total of 291 innings? How in the world could you possibly pick that? And 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 Shane Bieber coming back, he has almost 140 innings pitched. He, he was injured most of last year. It's hard to pick these these horses. Some of them you can pick. Some of them, they're kind of obvious. Some of them stand out. Like you have the Aaron Nola. You know he's going to give you a lot of innings. You have Corbin Burns, who's a top pitcher. He should give you a lot of innings. You Darish always gives you a lot of innings. Not always the best, but gives you a lot of innings. But you had who had Martin Perez pitching 142 innings so far? I don't think many people had that. And, and, who, and who had Garrett Cole pitching only 138 innings? and only having nine wins. He's on a good team. He should have had more wins. I picked him actually in, in TGFBI. I picked him with the number six pick. I'm not getting the value that I have for him at there. And I'm I'm kind of getting screwed by that because, you know, I was kind of silly and I, I tried, decided to try something in TGFBI and I decided to take, um, you know, pocket pitchers, pocket aces. I took Cole and Scherzer with my first and second pick. So where one made up, I, I didn't have to worry about innings for, I, I think I didn't have to make up for innings for either of them. Them. But you take Scherzer, you think you get a bunch of innings, but he was hurt. I mean, it, it's so hard to say, okay, I want the innings guy. Going for the good team guy, that's great also. But again, it's it's a, I think you're going after the best pitcher with the best stuff who's showing that he can do it for an extended period of time. I'm, I'm, not, I'm nervous about getting the, the, the rookie guys or the guys coming off an injury. I think I'm done with that. So, so Justin, in terms of starting pitchers, I know that people talk about the pocket aces strategy and you have to get an ace in the first two rounds. I know Ian Khan on his show talks that actually, no, first four rounds, bats, 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 and then take the guys. And we preach in our show also the whole middle with Musgrove and Max Fried and those guys were really the, the best point. You can skimp a little bit on the top four and pound the middle, fifth round, sixth round, seventh round. I kind of think that was the right strategy this year. I think that the people who forced getting a pitcher so early in general did not make up their value. Of course, there's exceptions and you know, here and there, but um, not only did you miss out on a, not only did you pick an unproductive band of pitchers, but you missed out on a really good hitter pool because the first four rounds of hitters had a really, really good name, Machado, Judge, Teoscar Hernandez, guys who performed. Do you do you think that uh, it's true this year that the getting the ace was important and pitch and the uh, was not important and the pocket aces doesn't work and do you think that would be go true going forward into twenty twenty three if you agree with that? Um, I don't agree with it necessarily. Also, don't disagree with it necessarily. Necessarily, um, 
I think at the end of the day, it's it's get good players. Like, I mean, and that seems really kind of simplified and, and um, cliche, uh, but uh, I think you could have put together a really good team uh, with, you know, pocket aces. I think you can put, to, you know, and like, you know, Toby uh, uh, Gouvain, who's, uh, who, you know, is bat flip crazy over on Twitter, uh, is a fantastic player. Um, and he has continuously used pocket aces with, with very uh, good success. Um, and I think there are other guys out there in the industry uh, and in the high stakes community that have, you know, preached getting your bats early um, and waiting on pitching. Uh, and that has been very successful. Uh, I think the common threads are they are less risk averse early. They make less uh, mistakes early and they pick well later. I, I don't think, you know, like I said before, like, I don't think that there is one way to put together the puzzle. No. I think there are lots of ways to put together the puzzle. Um, I think inherently there is less risk by take going bats early um, because pitchers are one. Any pitcher is one pitch away from Tommy John surgery. It's just yeah. that's a matter of fact. And it's you're much less likely to lose your hit your first round hitter than your first round pitcher because of injury. So I think for that reason, I probably lean towards the hitting. But I don't know. I, I, I think it's all anecdotal. Like, I mean, I, you know. I have seen teams that are really, really good right now that went pitching early. I've seen really, really good teams that went hitting early. I think it's um, you're kind of picking and choosing what works best for you. The the other thing to say is it's it's not just you're in a vacuum. It's all relative to everybody else. And mm -hmm. if the entire league decides to go pitching in the first four rounds, if you don't have a pitcher, you're way, way behind there. Right? You always want to yep. keep some sort of pace because remember, it's 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 roto. It's compare. It's comparative category. It's not a points league. Um, so you always have to have some kind of look at the market and not go far away. Uh, but I I do think that this year was the year to say you know what I'm going to tone down that. I need a, I need a, need a pitcher. I've, obviously, if pitchers came at the right spot, sure. I, I wanted to grab a, a Wheeler, a Nola, or somebody and not walk away in the fourth round without a pitcher. But I didn't feel like I had to come out of the first and second rounds. And I actually think that's going to continue next year. I think that in 2023, I think that the safety of getting the bats is going to be more important. And, of course, you can put together teams every way, of course. But I think I'm going to tend to lean more that as well. Do you agree, Ruvain? Well, I think if you're confident enough in the rest of your drafting ability, I think you can make it with a pitcher in the first in the first two rounds. I don't see why not. I th I think that's for me. I think that's where I'm, the way I'm going to go. I mean, I mentioned I went pocket aces. I'm in th I'm in third place where in the league that I took pocket aces. So it's not impossible to make it work. You can make it work. You just have to make sure the other guys hit. You have to try to be safe with the other guys you take. Try to avoid any injury risk or anything like that. And I mean, I, I took Byron Buxton in the fifth round. Yes, that's an injury risk, but I also took Pete Alonso. Who's who's safe? I had a top closer like Jordan Romano, who's not at the top tier, but I waited and waited and waited until the time I thought was right, and I think that was the best way to go. I think if you know how to handle, and also listen, it matters on the room. The room can change everything. If all of a sudden there's a pitcher run, you gotta get that. You gotta get the pitcher, otherwise you will be stuck with the second level. Unless you're okay with taking the second level. If you're okay with, if you're a plan coming in. With top tier pitcher, if a plan coming with a mid tier pitcher, then you shouldn't have a problem with any of your drafts. Let's talk middle relievers. So uh, one thing we advocated before in the season is that don't throw a seventh starter uh, who stinks and has a bad matchup just for the sake of throwing it. Roster one or two middle relievers um, who are showing great ratios 
and throw them in when you don't have the starts. Let them pick up the ratios. And we advocated all season long Michael King, get Devin Williams, just just get him. Of course they can turn into saves, but just even for the ratios. Do you think that, Justin, that that was a good idea this year, and will that continue going forward? Um, I think so. I think it's a good strategy. I think uh, especially if you build – up the top of your rotation with high strikeout guys. I, th- I think it, it comes down to team construction, right? If if you're if you know if your top two pitchers are Max Fried and Sandy Alcantara, uh, like that becomes a lot more difficult because you need those strikeouts, right? You need to make up for the strikeout deficits that those guys have, even though they're going to give you wins and um, uh, and and really good ratios, you know. So maybe you can't afford to just go get a guy who may only throw two innings this week or three innings this week. You might need to go get a guy who's going to get you uh, a little bit, you know, more in the strikeout department. So, but I think in general, as long as you're starting with kind of the high, you know, strikeout uh, starters, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I've definitely got some teams, you know, TGFBI being one of them where, you know, had I been playing, uh, you know, some of these uh, high strikeout relievers, um, that are good ratio guys, instead of, you know, filling the back end of my rotation with scrubs that blew up my ratios, I'd be in a lot better spot. And and the other thing to add, of course, is that because saves are more spread out and there's more of the committees and leverage situations, some of these high-level, high-leverage high relievers, uh, middle relievers, throw in a couple of saves. I mean, if you got Brooks Rally, oh, you get a couple of saves. If you had Diego Castillo, all right, you're getting a share of the saves. Even G- Giovanni Gallegos. He he got a certain number of saves, so you're you're getting some of that other stat, and you're also getting the ratios. I think it's even more important, and we'll continue. You, you, uh, Ruben, I'm assuming you agree. I do agree, and also I think it sets you up for the rest of the season. If you have these middle reliever guys early, and you and you build a base of your ratios. You can throw those guys to the two-star pitchers later in the season without having to worry that it's going to blow up your ear rate too, or, or whip too much just because you have that little base already, little base depending on how many Myrtle Reeves you have, you'll have that base as to not have to worry so much of blowing up. If he blows up, I'm in trouble. If, if you're blowing up to begin with, like just like you said, if, you, if you're throwing these, these guys who shouldn't really be in the majors at that point, then you know what? You're better off throwing this guy, and, and if you need wins later on, try to get the two-star pitcher later on and do it that way. I just want to say to this point, like um, Doug Dennis is winning AL Tout Wars by not drafting a single starter, and he has not used a starter all year. Now it's a you know different, a little bit different format. They don't have an innings requirement, right? So he can get away with this, but he is dominating by not having drafted a single uh, starter uh, in this league. I think he's got a nine point league lead in AL Tout. Um, now, while you can't do that in most leagues, because most leagues have some sort of innings requirement, it does tell you, like, hey, maybe if I draft some really good starters up top, then I can fill in more with these relievers, keep these ratios low. And then, then like Ruvain was just saying, like, later on in the season, when I've got this really good foundation, I can kind of take some chances on some high upside starters uh, that maybe are a little bit lower on the pecking order. Yeah, that's true. It's a timing thing, right? You can you don't have to get your things in in order. You can try building up the ratios first, and then you have more or you'll more real, or you'll know where you stand uh, somewhere in the middle, and you have more options on how to play the rest of the year. I mean, back before there was closer committees, we always advocated to get four or five closers. Just bank the saves early. If they lose their job, who cares? You've already banked them, and then you can play the starters later and fill it up that way. Right? It's a timing thing. Um, quickly back KDS. 
um, we we advocated playing the middle that. Uh, KDS is Kentucky Derby style system where, um, you know, instead of just having a purely random draft picking order, one through 15, you can at least choose a, a priority and say, well, I'd rather be to slot seven than slot nine than slot 12. And the randomness is in your priority. Oh, RL picks first. Oh, Justin picks second. Uh, and then it'll computer generate it based on your priority order. We advocated being in the middle of the draft was better than on either ends, mostly because there is a value gap and an information gap that, you know, if you're in the middle, you get one decision. You get one piece of information, you have to make one decision. If you're at the end, well, it only comes to you once, and you got to make two decisions. And in terms of the value, if you're picking at the end, if there's a guy who you want to grab who you think is going to be a value, it has to pass 30 players before it gets back to you. You're not going to realize that much value. If you're in the middle, you'll be able to realize more bargains more. Uh, I think that that's... That was totally true. Um, if you look at the main event in the NFBC, the middle slot, even slot 10, 11, 12, did a lot better. Slot 1 actually did really well uh, with Trey Turner. Uh, but other than him particularly, the ends usually didn't do well. And I think that's true in TGFBI as well when I took a look at that. Justin, do, do you agree with that? Do you think that there is something to it uh, in general? And you know, wh where would you be picking next year? Yeah, I think I'm going to want to pick in the middle. I don't think there is necessarily going to be a consensus first overall pick next year um, in the way that this year had Trey Turner. Um, and I also think that uh, you, you, I think there is going to be kind of this grouping of probably eight or nine guys that make sense as, you know, a top tier first round pick. So I don't care which one falls to me. If you look at like the TGFBI overall standings, um, of the guys that are in it right now, um, there's only uh, one top 10 team that drafted first overall. Uh, and almost all of the teams drafted 6 through 12. Um, and so I think, you know, it gives you, I think, a better opportunity to get a more premium player in the second round. Uh, I think it gives you an opportunity to not fall victim to the kind of, especially closer runs or just, you know, or stolen base runs that can uh, tend to happen in drafts uh so yeah i think um i think the middle is a little bit safer place to play uh and i'm okay potentially missing out on the one guy i love in the first round if i'm going to be able to build a better team and more cohesive team by drafting in the middle yeah let me add on to that tgfbi top 20 teams 13 out of the 20 teams picked from picks 9 to 12. So right there, it just shows you that those are the picks really to get. I think that's the area where people should be going in for next year. I think I think I, I asked for six this year. I think our U.S. for six also, and, and we both actually happened to get it. Um, I think that it, six may be a little bit too early because I think I want to get a higher pick in the second round because the talent will be spread out so much, and I think it may be worthwhile to have not necessarily the top guy in the first round, but a, t a, a late first round guy and a top second round guy. So I wouldn't be totally upset with pick 13 or maybe even pick 14 but i mean that's that's my limit i think 9 to 12 is the sweet spot for next year yeah i, I it's always going to be different every year as you see what the the actual talent is in, in certain rounds but to me it's not just about the first two rounds it's it's later it's the sixth and seventh and eighth round in that i i i if there's a guy who i think is a discount now you know you just 
it's, you have more ability to get that discount. Oh, look look at him. He's he's valued. Great. I got him. I'm six in the middle. But if you're picking at number one, well, to get that guy who you think is the value, you're sacrificing six picks, right? If you get him at one versus getting him this in the middle of the round, you know, you're just giving up six picks, right? And and that happens over and over again as the draft goes on and just increases the value. So I think it's not just a first two round thing. I think it's it's the whole draft that, that you can get a lot more value in the aggregate that way. Um, so on and so forth. Um, all right, a uh, lot of stuff here. Any other things that jump uh, jump out to you in terms of uh, um, strategies you went for that didn't work out or or whatnot, Justin? Um, not necessarily from a strategy strategy perspective, though. I you know I mean I have so many teams I don't have time to necessarily delve into each individual one yet. I'll definitely do that in the off season because uh, I'm gonna have a lot of teams where I, I'm gonna wonder what went wrong. Um, you know, one of my main event teams. Uh, I was in first place less than a month ago, um, and I'm in 14th, or I think 13th right now. Like, you know, like, what went wrong, you know, was it a strategical error, or was it a, you know, player analysis error? You know, what what went wrong? So I'll do a lot of that stuff kind of at the end of the season. I'm sure I'll write articles and uh, and, and do podcasts on it, but um, I don't necessarily know that I made any common themes to have such a you know i'll be honest i'm having a really disappointing year i'm not you know i'm not gonna be one of these uh one of these guys that's gonna lie to people and tell them that like hey i'm having a great season when i'm not like you know i'm uh this has probably been my toughest year uh since i came into the industry uh but that means i'm gonna have a lot of learning experiences and a lot of things to kind of uh learn from to kind of hopefully make me a better player and a more successful player next year yeah, that's the goal. Always learn. I mean, that's that's why we do this analysis. You know, what went wrong? What you know, we said something. Why uh, did it go wrong? Should we change it next year? And so on and so forth. Um, I've been told that there is some trivia, so let's cue the music. Time for the injury guru's trivia of the week. Well, this week the trivia will be in the form of a game. So, to review the fantasy season a bit, I thought I would look back at the NFBC ADP from January 1st until April 1st of this year. And at this point in the season, based on a 5x5 Roto League, there are 12 players who are not drafted in the top 100 that are in the top 50 right now. And there are 11 players who are in the top 50 that were drafted outside of the top 100. So, what we're going to do is we're going to go back and forth, try to name these players. I want a total of a 23 players who are now currently in the top 50, but were drafted outside the top 50. And now what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to keep score. If you can name someone who was drafted from 50 to 100, you'll get one point. And over 100, you get two points. Did you get that? Uh, no. Give it to me one more time. Currently in the top 50, there are 23 players who were not drafted in the top 50. They were drafted. They're sometimes they're drafted outside the top outside the top 50. If you can name anyone between 50 who were drafted between 50 and 100, you get one point. Anyone who's drafted, this is the ADP based on NFBC from January 1st to April 1st. If you can get them outside the top 100, you get two points. The player with the most points wins. Okay. Justin, you go first. Um. And we're doing hitters and pitchers, correct? Hitters and pitchers overall. Give me Tony Gonsolin. 
Tony Gonsolin, you get two points for that. He was his ADP was three oh three. All right, hitter pickup of the year. We mentioned him in the show last week. Brandon Drury. Brandon Drury is seven fifty one. Wow. Justin. He, Brandon Drury, fun fact, was only drafted in three total NFBC leagues. Wow. Wow. Uh, so uh, of the thousands of leagues that uh, they he was drafted uh, or that were drafted, he was only drafted in three. That's um, crazy. I'll go with another pitcher. Give me Kyle Wright. Kyle Wright, 677 he was going for. I'm going to go Julio Rodriguez. I think he was outside the top 50. Julio Rodriguez was outside the top 50 from from January to April. His average was 258. So, yes, he was out of the 250. Um, Give me a guy that uh, I wish I hadn't faded in Adolis Garcia. Adolis Garcia, yeah. 171. That's a good one. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr., was he right outside 50? Bobby Witt Jr. was 87. So that's one point wow. there. I, I would not have guessed that one uh, because uh, I you know in the main event he was going uh, so much higher than that but that's when mm. people kind of realized he was gonna he was gonna make the team or at least that's correct pretty right. early um, I'll go with another Dodgers pitchers what about Tyler Anderson five ninety yes he was ADP was five ninety all right how about uh, Rocky standout CJ Crone CJ Crone one twenty three. That's uh, that's a good one. Um, Dansby Swanson. Dansby Swanson, one nineteen. Uh, Schwarber. Schwarber, one fourteen. You're knocking them off here, pretty good. Keep going. Um, Shane McClanahan. Shane McClanahan, yes, in the one teens. A Rosarina? No, he was too early. Randy Arozarena was drafted, and average ADP was 63, so outside of the top 50. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's, well, we talked about Anthony Rizzo, right? He was drafted outside of the That's correct. Top 50 ADP of enough. 180. You've been paying attention there. Uh, uh, how about uh, Altuve? Maybe it was a little bit like... Altuve like was ADP 71. You get one point for that. Um... Let me. Oh, I got one. Yeah, I, I'm 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 running out here. Was Justin Verlander drafted outside of the top fifty? He was. He was. His ADP was ninety five. So you get one point I, for that. I totally got got. I was wrong on that on that guy. I, I didn't think he would. I do was this. too. It's because of the innings. That's what it is. He's, he's back crazy. to what he was. Kate Upton is treating him well. I guess <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, doing um, something right. Yeah. How about Andres Jimenez? Nope. He's not in the top fifty. No. He will be by the end of the year. That's He'll possible. I I'll, I'll get the points next week then. All right. <laughs> okay. What What about uh, also mentioned on the show, Tommy Edmund? Tommy Edmund is not in the top fifty. That's one strike against each of you. <laughs> okay. Who running out of people here is right. Um. Think of guys that you wouldn't have thought were in not drafted uh, in the top fifty. Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease, eighty-one. Okay. You got one wow. point for that. Uh, Corey Seager. Corey Seager, 79. One point for that. Um, I doubt this is going to be too high, but since you mentioned Seager, jogged my memory for Francisco Lindor. Lindor, ADP was 51. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we had a point for that. 
What about Paul Goldschmidt? Nope. Too he high. Was maybe. He, he, was, he was drafted higher than that. But you're in, you're on the right. I'll give you a hint. You're on the right team for a teammate of his. But that's strike two. Mm. Getting dicey. Uh, you got I made one, two, three. No, you got five okay. players left. Three pitchers, two hitters. Oh, I got one. Sorry. Uh, Nolan Arenado. Arenado. He's went to number seventy. That's another point. Nestor Cortez. Nope. No. Not in the top oh, 50. Wow. Not in the top fifty. Um, that's a that's a little bit surprising that he's you got three pitchers left and one hitter. Oh, um, I'm I'm gonna guess Marcus Simeon. Nope. That's strike three. You're out. Ariel, you have two strikes. Framber Valdez. Framber Valdez, 142. You get two points. Oh my for boy. Ariel, you keep going. You have three more. <laughs> Oh boy. Uh, I'm I'm out of names here. Uh just throw one out. You have two strikes. Uh how about a, oh a catcher. Let's put uh let's put uh Dalton Varsho. No. That's strike right. three. The players you missed, Austin Riley was drafted ADP yeah. of fifty two. Oh, okay. Alec Manoa, ninety six. Oh wow. And Carlos Rodon, one sixteen. Now, I mentioned those guys. They're all drafted late. Real or not real? Those guys who are drafted outside. I'm gonna, by the way, I'm going to tally everything up. I want you guys to answer this question. Outs tallied. Whoever is outside of the 100, are those guys for real for next year or are they not? What do you hmm. say? Not Drury. Yeah, Drury's definitely. I mean, I mean, he might be real, but not nearly to the extent that he's been this year and. Who knows what kind of situation he ends up in? Will he get a full-time role wherever he is? He ends up uh, in twenty twenty-three. Will determine a lot of what his value is. Uh, but I think uh, some of them are, are real, um, you know, uh, and some of them are going to be guys that you know they may be real, but they also have real downside as well. Like Adolis Garcia, like I think he legit has power and speed. I think we've seen it, right? Um, he legit has a really poor plate approach too. And so we've seen guys like uh, Javi Baez with much more elite hands than him uh, struggle this year. So, I mean, I think that there's all, there's some downside to some of these guys. And what, about, what about those top pitchers? Those, those pitchers we mentioned, the Tyler Anderson, the Kyle Wright, Tony Gonsolin, are those guys for real? I, I believe in Kyle Wright. Um, and I believe in Gonsolin a little bit. Um, I don't know that I believe in Tyler Anderson to this level. By the way, Adolis Garcia, very interesting because last year he had a monster first half and was terrible in the second half. How often do you see that? Like, usually you see the opposite. You see someone who had a good second half and maybe they turn it on and it's real. How often do you see that where they just conk out in the second half and then they're awesome the following year? I can't remember any guys like that. Can I, you? I don't think it, it doesn't happen super often, um, you know, unless it's injury. We don't usually see a guy yeah, play a full right. season and be terrible. But I think that is you know, his profile kind of lends to this, right? Like, he is a guy, I'm going to swing, um, I'm going to hit the ball hard, uh, I'm going to steal bases when I'm on base, uh, but there's a lot of swing and miss that game, and, and because the contact skills aren't, you know, I wouldn't even say average to above average, like, they're, you know, poor necessarily, uh, I think that 
you're gonna he's gonna be like Carlos Gomez used to be there were years where Carlos Gomez had like amazing seasons right and then completely fell off the map and like in uh I I could see Adolis Garcia having that kind of career interesting interesting and actually actually number 53 on the list was Edwin Diaz. He was one of the top closers out there. And you can and Justin, you can call Edwin Diaz in because you beat Ariel there seventeen to fifteen. Oh. There we go. Play the trumpets for me. There you go. <laughs> Nicely done, Justin. Nicely done. <laughs> um all right, so uh, it's uh, earlier in the week here. We're not doing a show in our usual time that comes out on Friday. Uh got some vacation coming up. Uh, but uh, just to throw it out there, any uh, any waiver wire guys we have there? Last week I mentioned Paul DeYoung. Uh, throughout Trent Grisham, if uh, you didn't pick him up, might be a good time with uh, Tatis getting suspended. That's uh, uh, <laughs> did, did you guys hear the story with Tatis that uh, uh, he said that he, he he got a haircut and it was a bad haircut and he had to take something for the bad haircut and that had that had steroids in it and he didn't know. Did you hear that story? I his had not heard that. that. I had, I had heard he that. had ringworm. Um, <laughs> no, no, so. but Fernando Tatis Sr. came out and said it's, it was from it was from a hair product. That's what he said. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> really? I, you know, I this this is. I mean, I I'm not um, I'm not a doctor. You know, so let, let me say that I am an expert in addiction, and so I do have some education in for, uh, pharmacology. Uh, and so, like, I like he shouldn't have tested positive for this. Like, this is something that's used for <laughs> uh, really bad abrasions. If he had said, like, he used this because of his motorcycle accident, it would have been a lot more believable than um, from ringworm or a haircut. Uh, <laughs> I think he was trying to get back on the field. I think he thought, hey, I'm, you know, it's, it's less likely they're going to test me. I'm not in the major leagues. I want to get back on the field. Um, and like, I don't think he was doing it to try to be like better. Like he's already gotten paid. He doesn't necessarily need to be better. Um, I think he wanted to get back on the field because I think he wanted to win. And I think in that process, he made a really, really poor decision. Uh, and that's the end of it. I mean, it's not that far away from saying some kids sprayed steroids on me. It wasn't me. Yeah. I mean, it's just, well, you want you want a conspiracy theory? You know who his teammate was when he tested positive, right? Wasn't Robinson Cano on that team when he tested oh, positive? Come on. No, no, he's. Well, I yeah, said, I said I that's conspiracy theory. Yeah. I'm not saying there's no truth to that. There's no truth to that whatsoever. But, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know. I mean, it just, it's just one of the strangest things I've ever heard is I got a haircut and now I'm busted for steroids. But, man. <laughs> I yeah, mean, I, just... I mean, these guys, like, I, I understand why they don't want to. Especially a guy like him, like where, you know, I mean, he's got the whole Gatorade commercial out now, right? He's got um, endorsement deals he doesn't want to, like, you know, see go away because he tested positive. So, like, I understand wanting to come up with an excuse, but I find it much more refreshing when guys just tell the truth. Like, hey, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have taken this. I did. Um, and I'm going to be better in the future. Because... Well, what's the incentive to tell the truth then? I mean, they, they, they obviously took the thing that they needed to, to oh, well, you know, I need some help to, to, to perform, so take it. Why would they start telling the truth now? It just, I, 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 they wouldn't. Yeah. No, I, I understand. I, I mean, I just think it's it, it's just such, it, it keeps it in the news cycle longer when you come up with these ridiculous stories because people make jokes about it, right? People are like, come on, it, it makes no sense. Like, 
You know, it's just the whole, like, you know, when Jeff Kent broke his, you know, hand and he told everybody he did it washing his car. Like, come on, like, just tell us the truth. Like, it'll it'll fade out. Like, people will still remember, like, that you broke your hand doing something stupid, like, you know, like Trevor Bauer. But, like, we're not going to continuously talk, you know, about it over and over and over again because you came up with, you know, this stupid lie as opposed to just saying, hey, I was I was riding a motorcycle when I shouldn't have been. I was kidnapped, and they gave me steroids. What do you yeah. want? <laughs> yeah. Just, well, one of the guys that was supposed to take over Tatis, I actually wanted to mention and bring it back to the waiver wire here. C.J. Abrams, he was called up. He's going to get regular playing time now, and I think he's a guy, if you want to take a risk on, he's going to get his playing time in Washington right now. I think he's a guy to look at. Justin, two guys out on the, on the Giants. I know you're a big Giants fan. Lamonte Wade and J.D. Davis, they're splitting time in San Francisco. They're playing the, Dod- uh, the, the, the Padres a lot. They're both hitting well. They're hitting. They both played five games even though they're both platoon guys check your schedules to see when they're playing righties and lefties and put them in when appropriate and i think i already mentioned this guy before another west coast guy sam haggerty only four percent owned in cbs he's got 307 he's he's a 317 average four homers six stolen bases 17 runs and is playing instead of jared kalenic that's a bad story there for kalenic just can't can't get right um I, i don't know what it is with him um any anyone to throw out uh, justin yeah um i i was writing a Brady singer last night um and you know i think in like you know deeper mixed leagues that like i like to play and he's he's pretty well rostered but i went just kind of over to check like his his roster uh percentage on espn um and he's at 36 percent there like he's been really really good and i think the fact that he plays in kansas city they're not having a very good season um, you know, it's not a team that people tend to talk about uh, when they're having a down year. Like, he's kind of hidden a little bit. Uh, and I think he is, he's starting to take another step. I, I mean, I'd love to see him throw the change up a little bit more uh, and really have a third pitch to rely on. But, I mean, he has been fantastic uh, recently. Um, and there's no reason he should be under 50% owned, even in kind of shallower uh, mixed leagues. Um, you, you know, if you're looking for a guy uh, in the... Uh, you know, available in more, you know, deeper leagues, Joey Menzies of uh, Washington. He's playing every day uh, right now and hitting the snot off the ball. Now, I don't think he's necessarily going to keep it up, but Washington has no reason not to see what they have in the guy. Um, And I think uh, he can volume his way into being uh, a pretty useful player in in deeper format leagues. Uh, So there's, uh, you know, one hitter, one pitcher. Um, I, I agree with Ruvain. Uh, you know, uh, that uh, J.D. Davis is, is pretty interesting. Lamont Wade's interesting as well. The only problem is both these guys are really bad defensively, and they play on the Giants that are going to pl- be super platoon heavy. I think Davis has a better opportunity um, to play a little bit more regularly, especially if that power continues to play the way it has. Uh, he's always been kind of a stat cast hero guy. Uh, Wade, I like a lot, but he's really, really bad defensively, um, and I think uh, he's going to find himself being switched out of games when a lefty comes on the mound. I saw that uh, firsthand. I was in the, I was at the game on uh, Saturday and he hit a home run early on in the game. And then by the third inning, he was out of the game for Austin Slater because the pirates brought in a lefty. So I'd, I'd be a little bit more cautious with a guy like Lamont Wade. Or when any giants uh, with the platooning, uh, I mean, it works, mm-hmm. it works. It's just bad for fantasy, right? It, it's uh, super frustrating for fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Elias Montero, Colorado. Uh, interesting name. Nice. Getting playing time, playing. Take a look at him. Uh, J.P. Sears this week. Two start, Texas and Seattle. 
he looks looks pretty good this year. Take a look. Ross Stripling pitching versus Baltimore this year. Then he's two start Boston and the Angels. Again, it's time of the year where if you're in the right position, you can pick up the two star pitcher to get a little bit of wins, some quantity of strikeouts, so on and so forth. How about Drew Smiley playing Washington? Uh, then next week, St. Louis and Milwaukee. He threw five innings the other day against Cincinnati, struck out nine. No earned runs in his last two starts. Interesting. And how about Marco Gonzalez at Oakland this week? He's heating up. He he tends to be streaky, and he's on the streak right now. So uh, he, he pitches deep into games, and Seattle's a good team. So uh, Marco Gonzalez, Oakland. Anything else, Ruby? No, I think that's about it. I, 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 it's, it's too early in the, in the week. I think we're going to have a lot more later in the week if we did a show later in the week. Uh, shout out for if you're looking for saves, Ian Kennedy looks like he's going to uh, yes. be leading the committee in Arizona. Alexis Diaz looks like he's going to take over in Cincinnati and kind of be the lead guy there. Yep, yep, we we definitely. Uh, I think we mentioned that last week, but uh, uh, yes, I agree 100%. Those are two guys that, uh, especially if you're in deeper leagues, for sure. You got two two Diaz brothers doing it uh, in the league. Mm-hmm. Pretty awesome. Um, Ruben, do you have any injuries uh, this week to discuss? Of course I do. Mickey ah, Moniak yeah. had his stitches removed from his left middle finger. He had a fra- actually had a fracture of the tip of his left middle finger. He has not been ruled out for the rest of the season. It's possible he could be back in September, so if you're stashing him, he's a possible to play later in the season. Anthony Bender landed on the I.O. with a right elbow strain. Some people picked him up thinking he'd be closer again. He may be done for the year because you don't know how long these elbow strains last. Corey Knable, if he's still on your roster, I'm not sure why he is. He's not closing anymore, but he has a lat injury. He was just put on the IL. He should be at least four to six weeks. He missed three months last year with the same injury, and this news just came out earlier today. Walker Bueller is having surgery on his elbow. They're not saying what type of surgery it is yet, so we don't know how long he's going to be out for, but they did say he is done for the year. Yeah, Walker Bueller is one of the guys in the first round that uh, we said maybe shy away from uh, for his uh, uncertainty risk. Uh, I know Derek Cardi, we had him on the, the show last year down in Arizona, and he was like, do not ever draft Walker Bueller. He's terrible. Um, yeah, he's and, had I a said, bad and I said to draft him, so I guess I was wrong, and I'll eat yeah. with that. <laughs> he showed risk. Um, him and, and, and Julio Urias. Urias, though, is having a decent year. Um, those guys have continually – outperformed what they should have, uh, and I think it caught up with Bueller. So, Well, anyways, uh, this was a really, really fantastic episode. Uh, did a lot of good strategy and a lot of thought stuff that uh, you don't think of too much, uh, but looking forward to 2023. Obviously, we're still playing for 2022, but uh, thought it was a good idea to uh, look at some of the strategies and uh, so on and so, so, so forth uh, early in the week here. So thank you so much for coming on, Justin. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, it's always... Uh... A blast to get to chat with you. Hopefully, I'm hoping I get to see you guys in Arizona. If not, uh, for, for first pitch Arizona. If not, I will. Uh, I will definitely see you guys in New York next year for Pal. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we look forward to being there. Um, and yeah. before we go, can you uh, let us know? Uh, just tell everyone uh, uh, where we can find you, see your stuff, listen to you, and everything. Justin Mason. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB. Uh, I write daily over at Fangraphs. Uh, also, I'm on the Sleeper on the Bus podcast, the French Fans Benefits podcast, and the TGFBI podcast. All right, moving. You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come. And I also have a wiki article on Rotoballer discussing all these injuries and more to get you ready for Feb the following week. All right, I'm Ariel Cohen. You can see my stuff over at uh, Fangraphs Rotographs. 
uh, and over at Rotoballer. You can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY, and of course, listen to me right here on the Beat the Shift podcast. Uh, we will not be here next week. It's uh, summer vacation, so uh, uh, we'll see you in a couple. But uh, keep grinding it. Keep uh, keep at it. Uh, take on those leagues. Take on uh, your opponents and uh, just chug it out. I mean, uh, there's, there's still a lot of time left. Even if you're uh, chugging for points, you never know. Uh, 15 points is not an insurmountable lead. lead just, uh, just keep plugging it, and hopefully you're in first and you don't have to. All right, anyways, thanks again to Justin Mason for joining the show. And from all of us here at the Beat the Shift podcast, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.